Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's probably not a great thing for any team in a sports premier international competition to ship more than 80 points in one match against any other team. But at the same time, we've just recorded a podcast today about the difficulties being faced by the Irish football team. So I just I feel duty bound to take the maximum amount of enjoyment we can out of Ireland's opening result of the Rugby yeah. World Cup. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Romania. You're just collateral damage here. Don't blame us. <laughs> blame Stephen Kenny's failure to react to the Netherlands halftime yeah. tactical tweaks. Yeah, no, I think actually, on you're right. Uh, you're caring for yourself. You know, it's called it's self care, and yeah. I'm here for it absolutely. Hey, Sai. Hey, lads. How are you? How are you? If there was Very one good. image that summed up the post-match mood, it was Mac Hansen and his jocks. Mm. Apparently, you haven't given, given his shorts to a fan. Yes. Yeah, well, or else he just... Look, he wanted to go... What was the excuse for the, for the, the rest of it? Yeah, there's a lot of kid off at that stage. He had inspired the final Tyke Burn try by playing extremely... The only thing I will say about some of the rugby we were playing, I was like, if we even tried this bullshit against South Africa, <laughs> oh. we were getting heads taken off. So he plays this stuff around his own try line. This is all on the back of a very tricky build-up for him as well, because supposedly mm. there was... There was yeah, some, far, far some players didn't some players. deal very well with yeah. being on a beach in Brits. Yeah, the prepared some were more distracted than others. And then one high-profile player didn't make the match day squad so they, on what looked like the full Irish team. Yeah, there's no... There was a so denial that Mac Hansen was in any way disciplined for whatever went on on that beach. <laughs> but he is... He was back having fun anyway come the end of the match. You were at the game, Simon? Yeah, it was great. It was all very exciting, very hot, beautiful city, mm-hmm. beautiful stadium, terrible tram system. Mm-hmm. People getting... Well, tram stopping, changing lines, um, very hot, no windows open. Uh, nothing explained to people. Um, several people had to get off and walk like 40, 50 minutes to the stadium. They're not very good at organising sports tournaments for a no, country that's done w- this They should so spend often. some of the money they spent on winning the bid against Ireland on their tram system and their organisation well, and getting people the to the stadiums. Argentina, some of those England fans, I think, in particular, seem to be, yep. look like one of those situations that you don't want to see with loads of people outside the ground trying to get in mm. quite late. Everybody was fine. Thankfully. And the Irish fans got there really early. Like yeah. there was... There was Tens of thousands of people there two, three hours in advance. So it wasn't like a mad last minute rush. 
Feel good vibes though. Yeah, and I think what you're looking for from that game really is to feel good afterwards. And there was several times in the first half where it was feeling like one of those kind of, you know, 35 points to seven win. Just that horrible, uh uh-oh, we picked our best team and we haven't put up a big score and we look a bit lethargic and a bit slow-witted and all the rest. But they got, there was quite a few things that made you feel good afterwards. They got better as the game went on. Uh, the fact that they started getting their offloading game going I think was good as well um, stuff like Mack Hansen um, the very last try it, it kind of was a 14 point swing in that Romania looked like they were going to get another sort of poxy breakout try at the end which sort of deflate you and make you wonder about the scoreline will points differential be important at the end will we look back on this nothing try but actually becomes an important try at the end but instead of that as you say Mack Hansen played like an under 12 as Andy Farrell said for about two minutes in front of his own try line and Andy Farrell said and I love that or it said you yeah. know which was great it was yeah. a little window yeah. into Andy Farrell's mind about how Mac Hansen should well, play Well in, in, perhaps in that particular set of circumstances yeah. I would say yeah. I mean let's not make a habit out of it man. Yeah and then the chip ahead and Bundyaki makes it happen and Tyburn romps under the post and then that kind of the fans were looking for something to cheer about anyway but that was sort of the perfect ending and then they got to do their lap of honour and it was it was essentially 40,000 Irish fans, the odd Romanian, the odd Welsh person there. But um, that all felt good. Um, and then Farrell and Sexton afterwards in the press conference were in unbelievably good form, like jokey, relaxed, very happy. Um, Farrell kind of touched on a couple of things, quite specific things actually in the presser about the issues Ireland had had in that first half. Uh, I actually thought... Uh, at half time, we had a few things to, to sort out. Um, uh, I thought we stopped the flow of our game um, quite a bit in regards to a few areas of our game, maybe discipline or um, got a little bit frantic with our communications, certainly after line breaks, a few passes on the floor, etc. I thought after the break, we was very composed. I thought um, we showed... Um, our intent, our, our togetherness as a team, how uh, how in sync we were, certainly with the ball in hand. Our fitness was great and our skill level was pretty good as well. So delighted with how we um, how we played, certainly in the second half, um, certainly not the first two minutes. Andy, how do you fix the communication issue, particularly, as you say, when you had line breaks? How do you actually fix that at halftime? And just making sure, because because sometimes you know when you when you're um, you, you're running a support line, and um, sometimes I feel that people become a, a, a little bit desperate, you know, and 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 sometimes uh, somebody's communication is a little bit more overpowering than the person that's actually on, you know. So making sure that you realise that there's somebody else in a better position than you is 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 what being a good teammate is all about, and. Uh, you know, to be fair, we're, we're, we're very good at that. Um, and we certainly was in the second half. A couple of lineouts went astray. I think it was the very first one that was stolen. There was an overthrow. Is it, is it something you're working on more than you would normally? Is it something you're worried about still? I know we've total faith in um, everyone that's involved in the lineouts. They work extremely hard. Um, one or two um, calls that we'd uh, want to have a look at ourselves and want to overthrow in 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 our opinion something that will certainly keep keep on focus in the mind it's obviously a very contested part of the game and very specialized part of the game it's something that we uh, work extremely hard on and we back the, the personnel um, 
uh, very highly to make sure that we've we, we continue with the high standards that we've always had. I mean, our our line out is is world class, and it will continue to be throughout this tournament. Yeah, the mind should be focused on it at this stage. Though, Andy, I'm glad you brought that up because it was the only obvious downside to yep. the whole thing that this trend continues. Yeah. Just struggling to maintain our own. And we've we three good hookers, you know, and really excellent second rows. So the personnel are there. Um, and I'd worry because South Africa, alongside England, the best defensive line out in the world. And Scotland, I mean, a lot of what did for Scotland was the line out. And if we were to have a similar shambles, like, I think we'll we'll just about survive in the scrum. I think we'll give away a couple of scrum penalties against South Africa. But if our line out gets demolished yeah, against South Africa, yeah, then yeah. We're, we're screwed. Oh, like, I don't see it. us coming back from that. Bundiaki, you mentioned there, had the game of his life. One of the, one of the greatest centre performances of all time. Almost enough to get the player of the match gong, but not quite, Murph. That went to Peter Armani. <laughs> I think it's World Rugby giving these out. The first, I think the first three matches were all back rowers. Were they? Yeah. Even in a match that Matt Williams says was not a match for back rowers, the, the, the Ireland, because so much of the game bypassed and didn't get a chance to defend the yeah. Ireland Romania mm. match. In fairness, Armani scored two tries and got on a bit of ball, but come on, like Bundiaki was the player of the match, I would have thought. We, I mean, oh, I'm, I just, I, I can't even offer a comment on it. No, 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 you're compromised. I mean, we all know that this is your hobby horse that I've jumped in on here. We did have the bonus of having the World Player of the Year to spring from the bench into that second row, into that back row, I should say. And mm. you, Simon, chatted to Josh van der Fleer post-match. Andy Farrell was saying to us there in the presser that you guys kind of fixed some of your communication issues at halftime. You felt it was a bit sloppy, maybe over-eager, people calling too much for a pass when it wasn't on. What was said at halftime? Um, I think well a lot of it was uh, pushing on, being being clinical. Um, I'd say a lot of it probably comes down to, I mean, there's a lot of people playing their first World Cups. So obviously, huge excitement. Everyone wants to do well. Everyone wants to be on the ball. Everyone wants to um, be that person to make a big carry. And I suppose you can, you can definitely get too eager and um, too excited. But a lot of the time, it's just about. And it's kind of what Andy said to us was bringing big energy and really putting the big efforts in but also just being calm and staying level-headed and not getting letting the conditions or or the occasion or anything get to you so that was kind of the messages I suppose at halftime. Yeah because you could notice the team seemed more composed when they did get a line break in the second half how much more enjoyable is it to sort of fix something and get better as the game goes on rather than the other way around? It is good yeah yeah it was um I mean, it would be great if we could do it perfectly throughout, but it's never the way. There's always things to improve on, and I thought the, as you meant, you mentioned the messaging at halftime. I thought it was, it was really good. It's very, it's, it's not too like the messages we get isn't very wordy. It's it's pretty like direct to the point. Specific, yeah. You leave the change room very clear on what we need to do. Um, so I thought that was uh, that was definitely very positive. It can obviously when you're going from. In those tough conditions, um, everyone's blowing hard. They're exhausted, very warm, and you come into the change room and it's just very calm. Everything's very composed, and um, I think we probably showed that second half. That we we were a bit more clinical, which is good. Is there a pressure release when you've been building up to this for so long, and you finally get to play and you get the win and you get the big score? Like, does it? I know there's bigger games to come, but is there still some sort of a release of pressure there? Um, I'd say even yeah, just a feeling of having it underway. I guess you're you kind of it's you have to get into the into the tournament. Um, you kind of even even for me now. Like I played a World Cup before, but it was in Japan. It's so different here. It's like 
like you wouldn't have got 30,000 people turning up just to fill out a stadium yeah. or whatever it was 40,000 uh, 40, um, to fill up a stadium in Japan it was a bit different so many Irish people around and um, there's obviously a big anticipation around it a lot of excitement and we all want to do well but you have to get going at some point and it's great to have first game under the belt and hopefully we get a bit of a bit of confidence and a bit of a rhythm now mm. thanks so much Josh yeah. cheers appreciate it cheers. how hot was it over there it sounds brutal 38 degrees officially but I would say in the stadium probably 40 or oh. even over yeah. no wind whatsoever were, some of them had had ice packs and stuff even during the water break which is a great idea by the way the water mm. break in this sort of situation but as well as that someone just get the ice packs on straight away anything to cool them cold towels yeah yeah stuff. they even like nibbled with their toes on the songs beforehand to get into the shade they were just in the sun and I could see Peter Manny going just like yeah it might have been Sexton yeah, yeah I saw that yeah. Uh, Sexton was even he, he uh, beckoned well, Romania Ireland, yeah oh. Ireland walked and then yeah. he was like pointing over to Romania to like right you might yeah, as well here, take <laughs> the chance the like, really no. polite version of the Mary McAleese Martin Johnson incident yeah. well it was the opposite of years ago at Lansdowne Road you it, know, was. It, was, it was hands across yeah. the red carpet rather yeah. than but just get on, off my red carpet on the pressure release <laughs> and it, it is a nothing game but they did actually all seem kind of just happy to have it underway like it's a bit like an Olympics the Rugby World Cup just dwarfs every other tournament as we know and you know it's a kind of a flaw of the sport mm. but just to it's all that build up and pressure and doing weights and I'm looking at videos and blah 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 for honestly four years mm. and then just playing a game even if it's a nothing game a, a win an easy win just to get started and feel like you're doing your job. Four years for some of them. Obviously, Joe McCarthy came in and looks like he, he's adding probably what we want him to add. Also, Jack Crowley is just much newer to the squad. I thought one of the big bonuses, funny, I tweeted this, that one of the biggest positives, if not the biggest, was how well he did when he came off the bench. And almost everybody got back to me and was like, well, obviously, he should be doing well off the bench coming mm. on in that situation. I was like, I know, but he did it. Yeah. If he had done badly, then yes, we'd be talking about how that's a concern. But he came off and he, crucially he kicked the sideline I think it might have been his first act was the kick uh, conversion from the mm. sideline yeah. he then chipped forward in that mad uh, finish that the Bundyaki regather yeah. yeah for the Bundyaki regather so he did all the things that you want to see him do yeah, no, if I, we have I, to rely on him later in the tournament I really like the look of him I, I just he just plays with confidence and he's kind of light on his feet and you can't predict what he's about to do which I love in an out half and Sexton almost does that with his mind and his delay of the decision Jack Crowley does it physically as well. Now, it's Romania, and there's no point repeating that too often, but we've seen it. We saw how he ended the season with Munster. I think he's kind of clear number two out half now. It's There isn't much doubt in my head. Now. If he and was missing his goal kick, so that would potentially be an issue. That, that, that's kind mm. of what I'm saying, just to even nail that side of it. Just yeah. get that pinned down, open a game. And yeah, and I, I'm, just, I'm getting less and less worried about the out half position and what he could do assuming we're not you know miles behind when Sexton comes off and mm. Sexton was moving very fluidly and was kicking very fluidly so physically I think Sexton looks pretty good France. which was by the way not a guarantee 38 yeah. year old six months off the game yeah yeah we'll talk to I'll explain who our guests are in a moment but just a mention from you Simon on the big opening night mm. very a, a very well received opening ceremony I've never seen fans react as positively to this kind of barmy very French mm. scene storyline whatever the hell they're at nobody seemed to know what was going on but the French fans were lapping it up and I suppose that's the main thing it did occur to me it was such a carnival atmosphere it's got to be a weird vibe for those French players they're in there and they have to win that game mm. it's the only thing I'll say about it everyone's saying okay well New Zealand now obviously they're the ones we want to face in a quarter final I do think France had to win that game if they'd lost it would have been a disaster for them possibly would have taken a lot of the mm. air out of the balloon New Zealand they didn't look great and it would be worrying for them how they were beaten physically and so on but I do feel they're probably possibly better able to absorb that 
and come again later in the tournament. No. Yeah, and what did Ian Foster say afterwards? What was the one thing he learned from the last World Cup or one lesson he'd take was to lose potentially that first game, which doesn't actually matter because they'll get out of their group just as it didn't matter yeah. to them in 2019 and the lessons you learn. But I don't know, I just felt like France played well for 20, 30 minutes and won it easy. That's a bit worrying from my point of view. And just that feeling you get, you know, when you're there in the sense of um, home crowds, a ref dealing with the home crowds, the amount of momentum they will have by a quarterfinal, I would I would now much rather play New Zealand. Even though I, don't, I still don't think there's a massive amount between the sides, but I think there's quite a massive amount between the two packs. Still not comfortable saying that. I'm still not comfortable hearing that. Well, it's, you, I know it's still a choice. Saying, yeah, 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 you're yeah, not yeah. saying the dream scenario yeah. if you would mm. cook this up in advance would be to play New Zealand in a quarterfinal. I'd rather New Zealand than Fiji. You know what I mean? I, I, like, I, to be honest, New Zealand <laughs> are the team I want now. You know, If we could have an open draw, yeah. I want New Zealand. That's lots, not what we're saying on. Lots of big games elsewhere as as well as the return of the drop goal in the England-Argentina game. We've got a master of that particular craft on today. Stramski, back in the pocket, has the chance to drop the goal. Back it comes to Stramski. Up goes the kick. Stramski has kept his head. South Africa's dream is alive once more. I was just the 1995 World Cup that united a nation like no other nation mm. had ever been united before. It's no, no pressure. Deal. Yeah, no, no pressure. pressure at all no there. That's 95. That is Joel Saransky. He's on today with Shane Horgan's here. All of our coverage of the World Cup. You want to be a member on secondcaptains.com for five euro a month plus fat. For those of you coming along to our big 10 year anniversary show at the Olympia Theatre in Dublin this Thursday, doors for the show are at 6.30pm. It'll start then at 7.30. So doors at 6.30. You're welcome from then. Show starts 7.30 sharp. None of you slackers now. Come on, everyone mm-hmm. be there on time. Well, listen, if you, you bought the ticket, you don't want to miss the first 20 minutes. Of course. That's all I'm saying. For those it's of you for your own going, benefit. <laughs> you will be hearing plenty in future pods from what promises to be a special night. We can't wait to see everybody there and seeing as we're back out amongst our amazing members for the first time in a while. I suppressed a grimace as I listened to him give torrents of praise. He pretty much said that you tried to brush him off like a piece of dirt. Alright, go, go. That's tomorrow, and that is that. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a. I can't do it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live! Do it live! I can, I'll write it, and we'll do it live! Fucking thing sucks! Our egomaniac slot has been in the corner for far too long. So ahead of this week's show, we want your stories of meeting our egomaniac presenters. Any of them? Any of our presenters? What if they're including no Simon? What about Simon? This is my favourite slot, by the way. Well, you've never been involved in it directly, as in, you know, on the receiving end of some of these. When this was at its height, I, I was, someone did drive past, I've told this story before, you know, beside Nafina J Club there mm. in Dublin's north side. A guy did drive past me, rolled down his window, shout, egomaniac at me while I'm with my, my Auntie Mary. Oh, yeah. oh, no, there was a lot of that going on, yeah. It's one of my main lockdown memories. Sort of heat. Yep. Email us to oh, editor yeah. at secondcaptains.com. Have you spotted a second captain's egomaniac? Please let us know. Just use egomaniacs in the subject title. Thanks to everyone who listened to our radio show this summer. The series has just wrapped up with the great Welsh actor Michael Sheen who was an equally amazing interviewee. We had a great chat with him about his considerable football pedigree 
his portrayal of Brian Clough and the Damned United, obviously. Life growing up in Port Talbot, his hometown, a tough old Welsh town by the sounds of things, mm-hmm. best known for its steelworks, but which also has an incredible acting lineage going from Sheen back to Anthony Hopkins and Richard Burton before him, all from this town near Swansea in Wales. Hopkins even had the pleasure of meeting Richard Burton when he was a kid, a story told by Michael Sheen to us. So someone had said to, to Tony Hopkins, oh, Rich, Richard Burton's in, in uh, Sissy's house around the corner. So he went over there and he knocked on the door and uh, Burton's older sister, Sis, uh, came to the door and he said, excuse me, is Mr Burton there? And uh, Richard, someone here to see him. And Burton comes to the front door and there's a you know, little kid, little Tony Hopkins. And he says, uh, yes, what do you want? He said, can I have an autograph, please? He says, do you, do you speak Welsh? And Hopkins said, no, no. Oh, not a proper Welshman then. <laughs> and, and was kind of making fun of him. And then this, and then Sis said, uh, this is Dick the Baker's boy. And Burton said, oh, oh I, I used to work in the, in the co-op just uh, opposite the Baker's there. I was useless, hopeless. I was hopeless. And Hopkins, who always felt like he, he was sort of told that he was stupid, really, when he was a kid. Mm. He always felt sort of top, stupid. And um, he said that the thing that impressed him the most about meeting Burton was when Burton had said that he'd been hopeless when he, you know, when he was younger. Yeah. And that that gave him, it made him feel like, oh, well, you know, people thought Richard Burton was hopeless. I've, I, there's chance for me. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so he... I love Michael Sheen's voice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. A phrase about reading a phone book springs to mind, all right? Yes. But he did a lot more than that, thankfully. Should, should, that wouldn't have maybe, been maybe next series we could that would have been an, an yeah. incomplete use of his uh, I think talents so, considerable there, talents yeah that full interview is available now wherever you get your podcasts life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Surtout pas d'être pris hors-jeu, pas hors-jeu, pas hors-jeu. Tant pis, ça relance, ça du terrain, mais pas hors-jeu. Sur le drop, il arrive Le drop de Jonathan Sexton Absolutely destroyed with the final kick of the game. It's Robert Gold. 
France have been robbed of victory. 82, 83 minutes gone. At the start of France, the place has gone mad. Ireland have snatched it from the jaws of defeat. Incroyable. Quel match winner. Quel match winner. Jonathan Sexton à la Crucifie l'équipe de France. Que c'est dur. C'est terrible. Terrible. Le drop de Jonathan Sexton. Oh, il s'en fout. Shane Horgan is on to chat about a dramatic opening World Cup weekend. Hey, Shane. I'm very good. And with George Ford reminding everyone about the value of a drop goal, who better to talk to than South Africa's 1995 World Cup final match-winning hero, Joel Stransky. Joel, great to chat to you today. Oh, lovely to be on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. I think you actually, you might have kicked two drop goals that day, which is just one short of what George Ford managed at the weekend. (laughs) Boy, how how good was he, though? I mean, (laughs) just the timing and the way he went about things, it was absolutely clinical. It was... It was wonderful to see. Actually, it reminded me more of Yanni De Beer in mm. 2000, uh, what is it, what, 1999, when he kicked, I think, five against England in France. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, uh, what happens in those situations? Do you just get into a, a zone? Would George Ford have been going out with the idea, I'm going to I'm gonna go for drop goals today? Do you just kick one and then suddenly the confidence is up? How does it all work? Well, I think someone plants the seed or you, or you have a little thought there that, you know, you, you're struggling to turn the pressure into points and, and it is important to accumulate and, and there's nothing else on. And you can almost see sometimes that there's there's an opportunity to take the easy points, which I think was his first one. And then and then I think he just realized, well, you know, it was three all now, it's six three, another one is nine three, then it was twelve three, and all of a sudden the game was really getting away from Argentina. I, th- I thought it was really smart. I thought the way he, he controlled the play was outstanding and, and he made sure they took every opportunity. Shane Murade McParland emailed in as a GAA supporter with a rudimentary grasp of rugby. I've always wondered why players don't take more drop goals. As I write, it's half time in England against Argentina. I find myself in the unprecedented situation where I'm actually enjoying watching England purely because they're playing the way my GAA brain always imagined rugby should be played. And somebody <laughs> enlightened me as to the mystery that's perplexed me for years. Why don't more rugby players kick their points, Shane? I'll tell you why, and using me as an example, as a very young man coming into a not particularly professional setup in in Leinster, uh, any time we got close to the 22, there was a queue of us trying to drop uh, drop goals. Um, and Matt Williams was our coach. He came in and he categorically banned myself, Dennis Hickey, and I think Dricko as well from hitting any more drop goals. There's only one person that's going to hit the drop goal and that's going to be the 10. I think that was better for all concerned, to be honest with you. But uh, as Joel says, there is a, um, you know, they're in and out of vogue and they're, they've probably been out of vogue for quite a while. But it's, it's kind of a good point. Um, largely, I think it's because they were seen as somewhat high risk. Um, or, you know, if you do the work of getting into the opposition 22, you know, the, you're very much focused on getting the try or the opposition giving away a penalty. So I think maybe the mindsets are it's less high risk uh, or certainly less risk to just retain possession. You have the potential, you know, to score a try, of course, but maybe the opposition are going to give away a penalty, which is, you know, which is almost an automatic three. So that may be the thinking. But actually, while I was watching the Scotland-South Africa game, I thought you know, the more phases that Scotland were having around the 22, 
the more aggressive the line speed was set was out of Africa was. Of course, they don't really need too many, maybe one person in the backfield covering that the chip option. So we've got you know thirteen, maybe fourteen men getting off the defensive line, and you do think, yes, have a crack for a couple of phases, but you're not getting yourself in a better position. So it's actually perfect to t- take a drop goal. So it's one of the key things for Ireland. I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks that it's it's probably put a front of Ireland's mind as well against South Africa. Maraid, it's a great question for Maraid, right? Because three World Cup finals have been won by drop goals. Wilkinson, Joel and Dan Carter. And everyone just forgets about them for a lot of other matches. Yeah, it's it's almost like there's trends in the game. And I don't know for yourself, Joel, if you notice over the weekend just how much quick kicking there was. It started with France versus New Zealand the quality of some of the long-distance kicking in particular from both teams, but especially France, hit home to me. And I just wonder, did you see any trend over the weekend of the way? Because we always see teams trying their best and showing all their stuff at a World Cup, so maybe we're learning something new here. So so firstly, let's go back to the drop goal just for a second there, because mm. the one thing we all forget is is it is, and you guys mentioned it, it is a little bit of high risk because it is bloody difficult to execute perfectly. You have to... Find a bit of space to step in. You got to drop the ball perfectly. You got to, you know, make make good contact. Um, you got to make sure there's no one charging it down. If it does get charged charged down, you end up sixty meters, seven points back. Uh, you know, as as a consequence. So maybe that's the other reason why it's only used really in, in to, to win games, not so much to accumulate points. But to your to your point around kicking, I think World Cups are always going to be a little bit more kicking oriented. There's always going to be a little bit more emphasis on the territorial game, on making the opposition, if they want to score tries, making them do it from from deep. You know, we I heard quite an interesting comment about one of the, the the smaller rugby playing nations saying when they qualified for the World Cup, the first thing they thought about was how to defend better. You know, it wasn't about scoring points. It was about defending and staying in the game. And I think it's easier to defend up the field than it is to defend the red zone, you know, closer to your line. So, so there's a lot of kicking, making sure you know, the territorial game is good to make sure, you know, you put, you, you play the, the pressure points, the pressure moments down that side of the field. And and to to your point as well, when when there is an error down there, that's when you kick your goals and you accumulate points and, and it is a little less of a risk than the drop goal. I've never felt like more of a fraud discussing <laughs> drop goals with Joe Stransky <laughs> on the other end. <laughs> oh, man. You must have enjoyed the pressure as well, though, Joel, of being that man to have to take those kicks. Yeah, see, well, I think that's it. You know, players... I either love the pressure or, or you know, it becomes a burden for them. They get all tight and and uh, and tense and stressed and, 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 the, and the technique goes a little bit. And I guess that's in all sports. You know, we, you watch world athletics, the, the hurdlers or whatever it is, the pole vaulters, when the stress is on, some get tense and the, the technique goes a little bit. Kickers, rugby players, the same thing. Penalty takers, golfers. Um, I think you either either love it or you don't, and and that's why you play number ten, or you or you play in the midfield, or you or as a or you hung, or you hung out difference. on the wing like me, Joe. But actually, do you know what? It, it the, the the other thing is, it's more requires a, a kind of a fifteen man strategy as well. Very often, not always, because um, you know the ten can see an opportunity, just drop back and and give himself that bit of extra room. But you know, we you would have. Uh, famously heard about the 2003 Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal where everybody on the team knew they were going into the drop goal pattern. That became very obvious and uh, set him up for that drop goal. So 
uh, it's difficult to have those two strategies running at the same time. One that's you're trying to break down the opposition um, mm. in in their twenty two. You're maybe you know trying to force the penalty, but retaining the option of the drop goal. What you really need is a, a, a you know an all man call to go. Let's get our a drop goal um, format and you know, present a proper opportunity that Joel mentioned there that de risks some of the you know um, some of the difficulties with hitting a drop goal. What was your standout team yeah. performance of the weekend, Shane? I think it was France. Yeah, I think it was France. But there was there was a lot of teams did uh, well, or maybe sort of better than than I thought. Um, it's it's shaping up to be a great competition. I was excited beforehand. I am, I think, more excited now. Um, in many ways, I feel um, I feel good for Ireland. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not. I don't think what you know. Maybe France aside, I don't think we're seeing um, the emergence of an utterly dominant team. And I can see flaws in teams. And and real strengths as well, but but France was was impressive. I don't know how impressive they were um, versus how disappointing New Zealand were because this New Zealand side just didn't look what I recognise as All Blacks. You know, having played the All Blacks you know, many times over you know, the course of of um, ten years or so, and watched them before that. They just didn't make the sort of level of of a mistake that I saw against France. You know, you know balls dropped. You know, by, when do you ever see all blacks dropping balls? You know, and and you know, at this stage in the, in the competition, very often not under intense pressure either. So you know, I, I and this probably wasn't the case, and it's anecdotal, or you know, maybe you know, I'm looking at back through through rose tinted glasses. But I remember you felt as if that the all blacks didn't make a mistake, and you never got the ball. And if you made a mistake, you wouldn't see it for another 10, 15 minutes. That mm. wasn't the case in the opening. Uh, game against France but I did think France looked good they looked very complete uh, they looked very able to deal with the pressure but you know I thought that was a very good performance I thought South Africa performance was excellent as well that could have been you know a very tricky game for them um, you know, I know Scotland had high hopes you know the type of game plan that Scotland can employ and get to those edges South Africa didn't allow them their line speed their defence their contact it was all very strong and I was left with the overwhelming, overwhelming impression that if you don't get your first contact right against South Africa, you're going to lose the collision. And that's that's going to follow teams right the way through the competition. If you do not get that right, you won't win the collision and you will probably lose the game. So that's you know a real focus for, for the teams. And then you got to think the England performance uh, was very impressive. A little like the opening game of the World Cup. I don't know how bad Argentina were. I was like really, really disappointed. I expected them to deliver this World Cup. I actually, um, I messaged Czechia beforehand, and um, actually on on the on the day of the game, quite embarrassingly, right? I I sent him a message. <laughs> um, you know, obviously there's a lot going on for him that day. Uh, I sent him a message quite early in the morning, and then I proceeded to pocket dial him twice during oh, the day. <laughs> so I assume he's never going to talk to me again. And uh, maybe maybe it's that that caused that's what happened for Argentina why they didn't deliver. Yeah, you gave England their win. Shane, that's, I can't believe it. That's definitely what happened, Joe. What did you think? I, I what worried me about France was they conceded those tries early in the first half and the second half. The build up to this game was huge. Uh, Dupont didn't play particularly well. They didn't play well for may- besides maybe like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And yet they won it pulling away from New Zealand at the end that they didn't show much. They didn't play at their peak whatsoever. And yet they won easy. But they do they do, do a few things quite similar to South Africa. And, and I think that's why they dominated the All Blacks that way. They are very physical. They kick a lot more than, than we actually think they kick. 
and, and we've come to realize how much they kick. And their kicking game is excellent. So even when DuPont doesn't have his best game ever, he still controls the territorial game. He still controls field position because he kicks so well off either foot. They weren't exceptional. I thought they were. I thought they were really good in that opening seven or eight minutes when they could have. They could have actually surrendered a few more points. You know, the All Blacks got off to such a flyer, and at the opening game of a World Cup in front of your home crowd, to be put on the back foot like that, sometimes it's there. There could be a little bit of panic. I thought they did well to just calm and come back immediately, get points on the board, um, and and New Zealand obviously made that highly unusual mistake of scoring and then knocking the ball on from the kickoff. It was a dreadful error. Yeah. Um, so, so I thought I thought France, as poor as New Zealand are at the moment, and I'll come back to them. I actually thought France didn't give anything away. They did the basics well, and they and they still not at their best. Still managed to beat what is a very very good New Zealand side. Granted, they don't have good form, but the critical thing to beating New Zealand is you have to smash them physically. Their, their scrum comes under pressure. Their line out goes to pieces. They want to play ball in hand. They want to play this this beautiful brand of rugby with the outside backs. And if you don't have a foundation to play that game, it's very, very difficult, as we saw on the weekend. Yeah. What about South Africa? Then we're all, we're all very friendly here today, Joel, but there's a big battle coming yeah. up in a, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and South Africa looked comfortable, I thought. They looked, um, they certainly, well, they didn't seem to be tested that much by Scotland, who disappointed. Were you happy enough with most elements of South Africa's performance? I was a little disappointed, and maybe because we set such high standards. I thought aside from those two tries that came quite quickly in short in, in quick succession, we didn't create too many opportunities outside of that, you know. And I think we have we're a team that we're so big, so strong, so powerful, we we bully teams into submission up front. I would have thought we would have created more scoring opportunities and we would have capitalized a little bit with with some of those dangerous outside backs. Peter Steph Detroit showed real brute strength to get over for the first try, sensational kick for for the second. And those are the, the only two real opportunities and, and we capitalised twice. You know, other than that, it could have been 6-3 and Scotland would have probably thought that they'd you know, hung in there and had a chance to win it near the end. Um, I thought we were good. I thought we did the basics well, but I, I thought we, we could have been a little bit better. Um, you, you touched on it. Defensively, we, we come up so quickly. We rush teams, we smash them, we take the space. We don't allow them to play. To get around us, you have to be outstanding and you have to, you have to really you know, create it with some real intricate play. And that's what worries me about Ireland. Ireland have the ability to to, to create it with their complexities, with their intricate backline play and, and their patience in terms of going 25, 30 phases to find a way around your defence. And, and our defensive, our rush defence will be tested more against Ireland. Yeah, and it wasn't, it was an imperfect performance, certainly, but we did see the accumulation and the toll that the physicality um, that that toll that takes later on in the second half, and I thought that was that was clear. Scotland didn't really yeah. have any, anywhere to go, and I was sort of viewing the game with with one eye throughout through an Irish uh, lens as well to see how this was going to affect Ireland. The breakdown was super slow for Scotland, and Scotland couldn't speed the ball up. And these things, these factors, all work together. So it's a slow breakdown. Lots of South African men on their feet. A rush at 10 to put them under pressure. But it wasn't just a rush defense at 10. There was obviously that arcing, you know, um, uh, umbrella type defense. 13, 13 rushing, yeah. Yeah, 13. And so what happens was Finn Russell, who I think is a brilliant passer, a range of passer, we saw it, you know, a couple of occasions, but not very often. He would look up 
And not only would he have someone in his own face, which he deals with pretty well, but someone in his own face, the passing channel was gone. He had nowhere to go to. And they didn't have a massive backdoor option for a second distributor, which is something that I think Ireland have to look at. But because everything comes generally to Finn, they had nowhere to go. And what was happening then, he was dumping off a huge amount of ball as a one-out runner uh, just outside himself. And of course, that is absolute meat and drink uh, to the South Africans. And that's why very often, we were seeing Scotland, you know, lose yardage when they were in possession of the ball. And that is something Ireland don't deal well with. So when are Ireland really successful? There are those intricate moves, yes, but they're based on fast rook ball and very accurate at the breakdown. So that's where the game is going to be won and lost in a couple of weeks. And I don't want to be talking about that. It, is, it isn't for a couple of weeks yet. But that, I believe, is where the game is going to be won and lost. Because if you can get slightly faster rook ball and you're never, never going to have you know, massively rapid uh, rook ball against South Africa, that means they set their line a little bit later. Maybe they have one more in the rook. And it's hard to get the same level of line speed off and actually completely shut that um, area down outside. And, and the other thing is they will get massively into Johnny Sex face and they will give they will rough him up and that is something that Johnny actually does struggle with yeah Joel do you think Ireland have the skill to pass I'm not asking you to brief against your own country here but do you think Ireland have the skill (laughs) to pass around that rush defense because I feel like South Africa in a World Cup it gets even faster it gets more aggressive it gets more intense Mm. their rooking efficiency becomes more impressive and all those things that you thought worked for the previous four years against South Africa, whether you're the video analyst or whether you're Johnny Sexton or whoever you are looking at them, it changes at a World Cup because everything happens faster. Yeah, it does. It does. But but I think in the in, in the same way, because the South Africans are maestros at slowing it down, you know, they're, they're, there's quite a few guys who contest the ball, who jackal the ball on the ground. Um, the tacklers have this uncanny ability to to just lie and hover a fraction longer, which just makes the, the ball a little bit slower. They slow the, they're slow. they masters at slowing the ball down. And I, and I think the point that if you don't play quickly against them and you allow their defense to be structured is 100% right. And I think to beat South Africa, you, you probably have to just create other options. You probably have to kick a little bit more than you want to kick. You probably want to just turn that defensive line around a little bit to make sure that you know they, they, they cover that backfield and there's less players... Um, attacking the ruck uh, in that first line of defence, because you, you have to have fast ball to play that intricate way of playing, and 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 I think that will be the, the challenge that will face Ireland. But there's no doubt Ireland have shown that they can. Um, the All Blacks showed it in New Zealand about a month or so ago that if if you do play that game cleverly and you do get the fast ball, you have to win the, the physical confrontation first. But when, once you get that fast ball, it is an option. It is a possibility to get around South Africa. Ireland have the skill set. They have the patience, probably more importantly. And they have the big guys to make sure they get the quick ball and dominate the, the go forward. So I think they can. I think they can. It's going to be an intriguing contest. It's going to be wonderful to watch. Well, Joel, I also think they, I think you touched on it there, they need to mix up their game because while yeah. Ireland against almost any other country in the world, you think, Right. If they get hit behind the game line, they can get back into their system. They can get back into their structure and then eventually they'll get around you or they'll spit you open in some way. Sometimes I think playing against South Africa, there's a, there's a law of diminishing returns here where you're getting knocked back and you ne- get knocked back. You just go, right, let's kick this ball here. And and that does two things. It, it, it relieves the pressure. It's less likely that you're going to get turned over because when that starts, it generally ends in a turnover of some fashion because you can't get numbers back uh, to resource your own ball. And thirdly, it does put a screw in the heads of the wingers and full backs who 
as the game goes on very oftenly, get more into the front line and actually give you a bit of the backfield and tease you into it because because the line speed at um, the, uh, of the first defender running at 10 also makes that kicking option more difficult unless you telegraph it and drop back into the pocket. So I think it's a big part of defeating South Africa as well is having a you know a really fulsome game. Ireland have some good kickers. And we're also seeing, you know, right through the weekend, what a great addition the 50-22 rule is as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that could be further exploited. And and we ha- we did see in the Six Nations, Ireland were alert to it. I think we're going to see it used throughout the competition. If Ireland. I could jump in there as well, if I could jump in there as well. So so I think you've got to be a smart kicking team as well to 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 play a good kicking game against the Springboks. You almost have to kick from, you know, that 13 channel, from one channel further out. It doesn't always need to be the 9-10 kick because you want to pull one or two of those, those, those deep defenders into the line and kick in behind them. Joel, Rossi and his team are always pushing things right to the limit. This traffic light system, I suppose, is the latest <laughs> one where people feel like he's getting an edge that he shouldn't quite be given. What do you make of it? So I don't think there's anything in it because he, he could say a word down to someone on the sideline and they would run on with a kicking to you. So I, I don't think there's too much in it. But he's got a history of that. You know, when he started coaching the Free State Cheaters, he didn't sit in the coach's box or down on the field. He sat on the roof of the stadium. And I mean right on the roof with with a, a light box where he had three or four different lights and a co- colour system where he would send the messages down. And I don't know if green was kicked for gold and red was kicked for the touchdown, orange was tap and go. Um, but but he had all these codes and he's always he's always had this loathe to say it, but this almost lack of trust in the player's ability to make the yeah. right decision. It feels and, overbearing. And it does feel overbearing. It feels like he doesn't trust them to, you know, do what he's empowered them to do. And but but the light, the light, or a word, or run the kicking tee on, or a hand signal—it's almost immaterial, isn't it? Shane, what do you think? I don't think it's a big deal, to be honest with you. Um, and while for many teams, I would suggest it's it's probably a bad thing because it um, devolves responsibility to the um, coaches. coaches' box. And that can make players, you know, modern rugby is about thinking rugby players and playing what you see in front of you. You know, some of these things where coaches are almost just a comfort for the coaches as well. I, yeah. I think he's constantly thinking totally. creatively and I like that. And while I, you know, there's a number of things that have happened over the years that I disagree with uh, the way uh, Razi has has um, you know gone about it. I think we should be encouraging creative coaching and, and creative ideation and you know, it, while it's within the you know rules of the game, it, it should be. I think actually it should be encouraged to see actually how can you push the different areas and what new and you want to see new things at World Cup. I want to see them. You know, I don't know how effective it is, but that's not really the point. It speaks to his overall mindset, and he's always looking for the different edge, and that that serves and has served South Africa well. What pleased you most about the Ireland performance, Shane? Um, that under different circumstances, Ireland win this game. 46-13 or something like mm-hmm. that um, and that's not what happened it was it was a very very dominant performance it wasn't perfect you know look at the the, the line out in particular but it was it was the sort of performance of a team that's very comfortable in themselves and very very confident it's not really one to break down and analyse in that way it's almost a vibes game yeah. so you know what do you take from it no injuries is really important loads of players got runs 
Ireland look very focused. Uh, I'd love Ireland to you know smile a bit more, even against these you know the teams where they're expected to win. If you score a try in a World Cup final, or sorry, a World Cup uh, match, smile about it. It's brilliant. Well, Mac Hansen was um, practically naked after the game, Shane. I don't want more. I don't want those caps coming off as well. Jeepers. Yeah, uh, but who was it? Was it Joe? Um, oh, Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy. Big Joe McCarthy. Actually, big Joe McCarthy. He scored a try. He threw the ball in the air. And then immediately started, oh, no, I'm not meant to celebrate this. And I <laughs> yeah. thought, Joe, you are. It's a World yeah. Cup. I don't care if it's about uh, Romania. I don't care who it is. You've done brilliantly. And you'll have that with you forever. So, um, <coughs> you know, so celebrate. But listen, I would say my opinion of Ireland being able to go further in this competition than they've ever gone before was enhanced by not just their performance, but by what I've seen from all the other teams so far. Um, I think. Ireland are very, very comfortable in their own skin at the moment. All right, because there was a, a, a poll on Virgin in advance of the match. I think about 50% of people said we can win, we will win the World Cup. And that got up to 72% afterwards. So you might have been, I don't know, you might have been tweeting into that poll, Shane. But uh, the, the line out <laughs> yeah. is a worry, though. We've said this after every game, and it's almost a by the way. And this has been going on for all the world, pretty much all the warm up matches. It's yeah. been an issue for a while where we keep writing it off, I guess, because generally it's a strength and Paul O'Connell's in there. Yeah, yeah. We'll assume it's okay, but. If even Romania are stealing lineouts, I'd be a bit concerned now about South Africa and Scotland. Yeah, there's, there's definitely be a, there's definitely be a focus on it. Um, we do expect because it is Paul O'Connell's area that he'll, you know, um, throw a little bit of magic dust on it and it'll all be perfect. It's been a hugely strong area for us, and I think we need to look a little bit further than just the last couple of games. I did see a, a, a press conference with Paul speaking about it. it's not. Like the same error all the time, which mm. which in some ways is is positive, but you know in in other ways frustrating. So you know I think they'll get to grips of it, and it hasn't been helped by kind of issues around uh, around Hooker and you know who's there and who's who's going to be back and when people are going to be back and the uh, sort of lack of game time, um certainly for Callagher. So you know let's see when they have you know luckily they have this game against Tonga, which you know again is. You know, not an, a gimme, but certainly Ireland should be should be winning it. That gives them another opportunity to have to really you know nail down the line and and to recreate the sort of platform that has been the cornerstone of what Ireland have been doing over the last eighteen months. I was, and I know it's yeah. it's a silly thing. Sorry, uh, Owen. I know it's a silly thing, but maybe it's instructive where the game had gone eighty minutes and they were deep in their. Uh, own 22 and I was actually watching it with my sister-in-law who um, I wouldn't say is you know a massive rugby fan but I think she even knew that you know generally in these circumstances you kick the ball out and they didn't and they didn't even th- you know, think to kick it out I just felt there was a ruthlessness and a desire to put up tries and you know occasionally I've played in teams and actually in a World Cup against and against Namibia uh, where there's such an appetite to get scores and keep on playing. And it's, you know, it's, you're really enjoying it. Uh, and it's not just a matter of you know, getting the result and moving on to the next game. You're, you are enjoying it and you want to prove that you're going to take every single opportunity against a, you know, a weakened um, nation. And uh, that's what they did. So just, a, it was a little thing that I much preferred them going the length and they got rewarded for it and scored that try at the end of the game, as opposed to just kicking it out you know, sideways and, and saying, let's move on. Joel, can I ask you, who's more likely to win the World Cup, Ireland or South Africa? Oh, it's a tough one. I, th- I think you. I, th- I think it's such a long journey to go because there are other teams. I mean, I was. I there were other teams that impressed me as well. I, you know, England. 
I thought we're, we're clinical in their own boring, dull way. And so, are you saying England Wales, could potentially win the World Cup just to cut across you? No, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. But it's too early to say because Argentina were bitterly disappointing. Wales, I thought, did some really good things. You know, so then when you say who's going to win it out of two sides, I think it's, it's so hard. To, to say right oh now. yeah well I, I'm, I'm, cer- I'm certainly not writing off <laughs> New France. Zealand or yeah, France yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean because we're both in the same pool and I get the sense being honest with Joe that nobody in South Africa really thinks Ireland are the number one rugby nation in the world and I, you know I'd imagine no, most people in South right. Africa I, I think you're yeah. right I, I think you're 100% right I think South Africans are looking at it and going um, and, and by the nature and I'll come back to it South Africans are looking at it and going it's going to be probably France or South Africa yeah. um, who, who won it and, and not Ireland or the All Blacks and and mainly because those two sides are physical beasts and physical bullies, and I think to win a World Cup, it's been proved. It's it's almost part of the the winning mentality, the winning recipe. You have to dominate physically up front. You have to smash teams in the set phase. Ireland Ireland are good in all those phases. I'm not sure they actually physically batter you though. They use great skill and great guile um, at times to to get around you, to get through you, to get past you, and and and, and I think. Just purely based on those two facts, South Africans look at them and think, well, we, we'd expect to smash Ireland physically. And and that's why South Africans will look at it, look at it that way. Yeah, Shane. I, I think, they, I think they have the ability to match us physically. And if they do, and they beat us in the pool stage, uh, I, I would guess Ireland would be much more set up to win it than we would be. Shane, you, seem quite, pleased. Yeah, you seem quite pleased about the some of the other performances and you think Ireland are actually you feel better about Ireland's chances but the way Joel describes it there did strike a chord with me it feels like there's a lot the rugby's become quite constricted a lot of the fancy stuff you see in the Six Nations or certainly in the Southern Hemisphere you didn't necessarily see over the weekend it's a real it's a World Cup again and World Cups are generally won by teams like South Africa they are because the other teams become we spoke about it last week become inhibited in their play and it's fine to say don't become inhibited, but it's really difficult um, when you have the pressures of a World Cup and actually maybe, you know, that mass physicality that uh, the teams, and you look right through the competition, the teams that have won it throughout the years, maybe the exception of, of the Australia teams that won it in the 1990s. Your, your fir- my first thought of them wouldn't be, oh, they're massive physical sides. This Ireland team, uh, and it did, it struck a chord with what Joel was saying there as well, is that I don't think any side comes out or sort of one of the the big players um those sides come out and say uh, Ireland beat us up because I don't think that's what Ireland do they are physical of course and they're you know very accurate the breakdown but it's more a case of being sort of bamboozled than beaten up so uh, and what Ireland can't afford to do is try and lean into that side of a game uh, because they like uh, the outcome and it might be more restricted but the outcome is less likely to be positive for, for them. South Africa, on the other hand, I believe can lean into that side of the game even more and their return will be greater. Um, but I'm, I, I'm certain that Ireland are aware of this because it's the way they've delivered their best performances um, you know, uh, throughout the last 18 months. It's the reason why they're um, number one team in the world, if, you know, and potentially disputed, yes, because they haven't done it in a World Cup. But it's the only chance they have to, to win the World Cup. I agree. I think it's a good point you make that our superpower is sort of our sophisticated phase attack. And when we do it, we saw it against New Zealand away in two of those tests. But it strikes me, as you say, the skill teams often get inhibited in a World Cup and that plays against them. They don't play to their best. The power teams play to their best, just become even more powerful. But 
this is our first, I would suggest, vibes coach that we've had. Like Rassi is, now Rassi's a technical coach too, but Andy Farrell potentially will get the mental side of it more right than any of our previous Ireland coaches at World Cups. And it just, it's somebody, when you meet him or you interview him or you watch him and you hear what players say about him, I just feel like, I'm not saying this will definitely happen, but he has the best chance of us getting it mentally right at a World Cup. I think so. He He's produced a, a team that is, are comfortable in their own skin. Also, they're an experienced team now. I, listen, I'm saying this here. I don't think it's going to be news to them. They're going to recognize this as well. And of course, they're going to talk about the the physical commitment that's needed and the accuracy at the breakdown and and all the other things that you need to get almost on par with to to allow that more sophisticated a game plan to be to be executed. So, but but I think they've they've known that for quite a, a long time now. The problem is, and I suppose what we're talking about, why would they be in any other way? Uh, we've what, otherwise, if you know, you're going to be in a poorer imitation of sides that can do that better. And I think, you know, that's been maybe a problem for England for the last while. Well, they have players that are more capable um, of delivering better performance or a higher level performance than we've seen in the last while. Um, they got, their game plan was constricted because they were, we need to get back to base and we need to keep it tight. And we need to get the scores. The problem about that is they lean too much into that and they came come up against the French side who do it much better and have other strings to their bow. And the same with the South African side who are much more physical and much able to do that and have those other strings to their bows as well. And I recognize I'm I, I'm not, I don't want to pigeonhole like South Africa or certainly South Africa as just a physical power team because they have so much more. And, and, and what they have is, um, while maybe not as sophisticated or intricate, in the way their backs uh, combine to break down defences. They have, I think, a, a history and a, um, a team of players that will can make breaks one-on-one and are more individualistic than Ireland. No, Ireland have good individuals, but I wouldn't say they play as individuals, whereas South Africa can do that in the right areas. And New Zealand, historically, and that's why I was just a bit disappointed with them at the weekend as well, that we didn't see those, you know, just the flashes of brilliance from one or two or three players that, um, coupled with the physical side of things, mean that they keep the scoreboard ticking over. Shane, I'm just looking it up here. England's next game is Japan next Sunday. So don't go accidentally butt-dialing Jamie Joseph, Japan's head coach, <laughs> on the day, please. Anyone anyone got bored for number? <laughs> Joel, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Only with pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. It'd be great chatting. Thank you. Beetroot soup. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, yeah? It was incredible. And you know what I'm going to have today? More soup. soup. Half an hour to make a soup. And then they have cans of soup. Half an hour, ten siblings. What does it look like, a turtle, is it? Soup. soup, soup. Nobody had any soup to start with, nobody had any puddings to finish with. Soup. Soup, soup. That's better than a brick because you can't throw a brick, it's too heavy. Soup. Soup, soup. But a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Yes, soup. It's incredible. Soup, soup. And you have people coming over with bags of soup, big bags of soup. Soup, soup, soup. soup. I can't believe we've gotten this far, you guys, without mentioning Fiji almost pulling it off last night. That was the only slight disappointment. There were a lot of shocks that were so well flagged that we nearly expected them to happen. Mm. Argentina to turn England over. Argentina were... Oh, my God. 
just offered no. It was like they from, were the, sh- from the start like before sh- England the, the started dropping happened. goals. Then, yeah. yeah, they were. They, they, then they were very much shell shocked from the drop goals. I, uh, it's almost like I don't know. They just they were so basic they before that though. That their on. whole game. I couldn't believe Czech prepped that team. Yeah, it was a strange one. But Wales Fiji was the big one. It was, yep. it was. Oh, Fiji could shock Wales, and then everyone just over the course of researching this and hearing very many podcasts, so I realised actually Fiji are ranked higher, have better, a lot of better athletes, are really well mm. organised, and probably should win this game. But were they done by the referees? I. Yes. Refereeing decisions. Yes, I they were. Um, I mean, one of the m- more annoying, like, loopholes, it's not even a loophole in the game, but, you know, repeatedly going offside or spoiling a rook as a team attacks the line. And Wales must have done, like, six or seven in a row, which is, like, it's a guaranteed yellow. I, I, I actually think the first one should be a yellow because you're stalling that momentum at a key time because it's all about rook speed, as we know. And if you stall that first one, then the defence can gather themselves again and just line up whatever. Whereas... If whatever about the first one, if you miss the fifth, sixth, seventh in a row, they're stopping a try illegally. And it also makes the game look a bit crap. There's loads of reasons mm. it should be penalised. And then he, Carly didn't pull out a yellow at all for that. And then kind of Fiji lose that chance. And then the first attack Wales have down the other end, it's an immediate yellow, which just made you feel even worse about the whole thing. Now, Wales end up getting a yellow in the end, but it was kind of too late. That was the point that Fiji could have won the game. At the same time, Fiji butchered a load of chances he dropped it twice over the line there was Semi Radradra at the very end who's kind of a shadow of his former self was looking towards being the most creative backline player in the world and just at Bristol has slipped and slipped but um, you would have said a few years ago a ball bouncing into Semi Radradra's hands to win a game now they needed the conversion as well but you just feel a bit oh, cheated cheated is the feeling like mm. it's it's not you know it's, there's one of those ones where something happens you know, a high shot or something like that happens, it's very hard to see or a sneaky bit in a rook. But when it's so obvious and so repeated, mm. a ref can't get that wrong. It's actually not hard to get that right. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't feel that cheated uh, because uh, the second Ireland, uh, the Netherlands was over last night, I immediately switched over to the rugby and I got to see the last 12 minutes of the game, which included basically... Uh, the two tries, two tries and, yeah. and the uh, and the Radrandra... Um, uh, drop ball right at the end I mean I saw an insane amount of excitement yeah. over the course of 12 minutes and that after watching the second half of Ireland Netherlands which was kind of it was the pick me up I needed manager, <laughs> I have yeah, to say yeah, yeah. it made me feel something again Fiji yeah. winning might have probably pleased more people but well, Wales broke the record for a number of tackles made as well in like, what, a World like, Cup match in a World Cup yeah. match and I think equal the all time record <laughs> but they um, it kind of made you realise what is it that Gatlin does again and they actually scored a couple of good tries, but it was the that ability to get the absolute most out of just tackle yourself to death. A bit like what Argentina used to, and I thought they would do in this World Cup. Just tackle yourself to death, then you, you probably will still be in with a chance. There were uh, there was obviously a f- there were quite a few refereeing issues actually. I think it was always somewhat inevitable given that there were so many big matches between what looked like evening match teams on paper over the first few days. But obviously the Tom Curry red card that was given, mm. the Creel one for South Africa that wasn't given. Yep. I don't know what you made of those. It was, I, I kind of felt like these kind of things were going to happen, but I mean, it's still obviously worth yeah, the mention. The Creel was a red. I'm actually not sure the Curry one was. I, he didn't seem to do a whole lot wrong. It was it was more timing. Now, there's, there's duty care and all that, and I think it was definitely yellow. Um, there was a Welsh high shot on a Fijian player as well that didn't even get looked at. Yeah, um, yeah no consistency with the, with the high hits again. And as Shane said in our World Cup preview, I have a feeling... Certainly in one of the four quarterfinals, it's going to decide the game. Yeah. Last word to Scotland captain Jamie Ritchie. I feel bad because I probably should have mentioned this in advance of the match. 
but Stuart Hogg, the spirit of Stuart Hogg lives in these Scottish players. Well, so you, just before you start, did you hear Stuart Hogg on, or what channel was he on? Basically saying <laughs> Scotland would lose. So he basically all his optimism gets deflated once he Oh, retires. really? Yeah. He was the opposite <laughs> of Noah Well, The Scottish fans are tweeting, Hoggy, come maybe on. Maybe, maybe it's just the job. Maybe like you, you yeah. become Scottish, Scottish captain. It's like, well, of course you'll have to go out there and abase yourself mm. for the enjoyment of yeah. podcasters from other countries. Mostly in Ireland. Celtic, yeah. <laughs> particularly your Celtic cousins. Yeah. Jamie Ritchie promised that they were going to play the fastest rugby in the world. We want to play quickly, Ritchie said before this after game. We have self-belief. We know that if we perform, we can beat anyone in the group. We have done well. Kind of finish it there, maybe. We have done well with an underdog tag, underdog tag until now. But to be honest, I don't think we need it. I firmly believe if we perform to the best of our abilities, we can win all the games in this group. When have you done well with the underdog tag? Like, honestly, what's he talking about? <laughs> like, when they go to Twickenham once every two years, they do well with the underdog tag. Mm. Other than that, I mean, that's one fixture in one tournament. I'm, I've promised I'm not going to get upset about this anymore. <laughs> It was. I thought it was just something related to Stuart Hogg. No, but three points again. Same as against Ireland in 2019 World Cup. Richie Watch just doesn't have the same sort of ring to it. Like that slot no. has to be retired. And listen, Stuart Hogg's retired. The slot is retired. It's just so tempting to bring it back. Thanks, I know. Murph. I know. Thanks, thank Simon. you, Owen. Thank Thanks, you, Murph. Thanks, Thank you, Owen. rugby. Thanks a million for listening. Don't forget to think about signing up now on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. If you listen to it via the membership model, you'll get all the episodes ad-free. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.